Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. I'm your host, Dustin Sutton, and today I have the honor of welcoming a very impressive man, Mr. Yen Young. I'm talking about his journey from growing up a child of immigrant parents coming to the United States and learning different things in his life and how they contributed to his success as a serial entrepreneur. Just a fantastic conversation with a very impressive man. So I hope you like this episode. And if you do, please make sure to give us five stars. Make sure to share it with your network and make sure that you subscribe so you stay up to date on all of the upcoming episodes. So without any further ado, here he is, Mr. Yen Young. Mr. Yen Young, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, Dustin? I'm doing very well. I've been looking forward to this conversation since the previous time we spoke and hearing more about your journey, what you've been able to accomplish and the why behind a lot of the things that you do. But if we could start off, can you just share a little bit about yourself, like who you are and what you do? Sure, sure. Thanks. And thanks for having me on the show. I'm, I'm super excited about it. Um, so uh, uh, I'll, my, my name is Yen Yang, and uh, I was actually born in China. And I, my parents immigrated us over here when I was about a year old. And so pretty much seems like I was born here, but I wasn't. Uh, but, uh, you know, child of immigrant family and uh, just learned uh, about, you know, hard work and, and what it took to make the American dream come to reality. And uh, now today uh, I am uh, happily married for over 20, 20 something years, I have two boys, uh, one in college and, and one in high school. And uh, I'm also the managing uh, partner of uh, Halbar Partners, which is a growth equity, uh, private equity shop. Well, I love that you said 20 something years. So hopefully uh, <laughs> you, uh, you know exactly what that is, but 23 um, to be exact. Okay. There you go. Exact. There you go. I just checking you. Um, okay. So you mentioned, you know, family of immigrants, where, where did you originally come to in the United States? Where was your, yeah, original... so my, my, I was born in uh, Guangzhou, China, and my family moved to Hong Kong uh, for a few months and then immigrated into New York. Uh, so we were in uh, Manhattan, Chinatown, like a lot of folks. Okay. And so how long were you, were you there? Did you, did you, grow up uh, I lived there till I was, uh, six, almost seven years old. Uh, and then my family, uh, moved to Houston, Texas. And then for the most part, I, I, I've been in Texas. Okay. Do you remember that transition of going from, cause oh, you were pretty young vividly. at that point, but you remember vividly, it? vividly remember it. And, and, and let me tell you why, uh, when we first moved into, uh, Manhattan in Chinatown, we lived in an apartment that was very small and, and so small that uh, the kitchen, the bedroom and the bathroom all kind of ran together. Tiny, tiny little place. And it was dirty. Uh, heater didn't always work. Yeah, there was, you know, gangs on the, in, in the staircase below, uh, that sort of stuff. And when we moved to Houston, it was like an oasis. We moved to a little duplex that had two bedrooms and it had a yard that was a little fenced off. I would, I, I literally was so excited to have grass in, mm-hmm. in, 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 in a backyard that was probably no more than maybe seven by seven by five or something like that. And I, I remember this very well to this day. And it always reminds me of where I came from. I went to the bathroom, came out, and I had never seen a hallway in a house before. And so I, I looked to the left and looked to the right, didn't know which direction to go. I had forgotten which way I came from. Wow. So it was perspective of, you know, uh, where you came from. And then, of course, nowadays, uh, that, that, that duplex would be considered very tiny uh, co- compared to the, any standards that I live by now. But at that time, it was, it was an amazing, amazing thing. So after that transition to Houston and because there's many things that I want to, we're going to get to for, because knowing your story, this is all part of it. This is all part of the journey. Can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, what it was like growing up, like as a, as a child, you know, middle school and going into high school, what it was like growing up there? Yeah. So uh, elementary was really in Houston. I did kindergarten in New York. Uh, But at that time, because you were kind of immersed in, in, in uh, Chinatown, uh, I really, English was my second language. I didn't learn English until first grade, really. 
And uh, I remember going to school, first day of school, first grade. It was in the middle of a school year. And uh, first day in class, I, I look at the whiteboard uh, or blackboard and, you know, all kinds of chalk writing, things going on, teachers going about her business. And I sat there and I started crying. <laughs> I started crying. And the reason why is because I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going on. So they said, well, what do you know? And I was like, maybe I can write my ABCs. <laughs> and so they had me sit there and write ABCs until I figured out what was going on. Uh, and so uh, it, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I actually got held back from my first year in, in first grade. Uh, it was the only year I ever got held back. And uh, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because what happened was it gave me extra time to catch up. And so I remember uh, there was the, like the lion group, the, uh, the, the deer group, and then the monkey group. And the monkey group was the lowest group, right? And that's where I was. Well, because they held me back the next year, I caught up and I was in the lion group the entire time. And ever since then, I, I never stopped looking back on my education uh, and excelled in it. Uh, and then, Can, you know, well, be, before you, before you move on from that, yeah, you, since you specifically identified that, is that a moment that you, uh, I want to say actively look on a part as a, as a major pivot point for you in your life? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause you know, when you get held back as a little kid, there's a sense of embarrassment, uh, going and you see your friends kind of moving on to the second grade and they see you still in first grade, right? There, there's a sense of a real embarrassment there. Uh, but today, looking back, it gave me the opportunity to, to, to truly excel and, and give me a chance to catch up. Sometimes you just need that opportunity. Uh, I think that if they just kind of kept me moving and moving me to second grade, I think I would have stayed behind the whole time. And so uh, it, it was one of those moments where when I look back, I'm glad they did that for me. So as you move on to this next step in your in your academic life, in your journey, yeah. Can you elaborate on that and what those next steps look like for you? Well, so so then academically, I felt pretty good. Uh, and so continue to, to, to do well uh, all the way through uh, middle school, uh, continue to do well in high school, took uh, a lot of AP classes, advanced placement classes. And uh, by the time I was done with high school, I, I had enough for almost a year worth of college credits. And uh, I know a lot of students do that nowadays and, uh, you know, they don't realize that, that what they're doing for themselves. But uh, really, when you think about it, uh, you know, the education, the, the, the knowledge is really what got me to where I am today. And do you feel like your, your family, your support system was pushing you or were you more of like a just self because of your previous experience that you were just pushing yourself? No, it, it, it definitely there. There, there's a family support, uh, and and that's the best way to put it. You, you got to remember, I, I, you know, growing up as an Asian immigrant family, uh, you know, they they essentially told me I had uh, two or three career choices. I was either going to be a doctor, a dentist, or a lawyer, <laughs> mm. maybe an engineer. That's about it, right? Uh, and uh, so, but they always focused on the fact that education was was important. And part of that is because from their background, they didn't get the opportunity. They, they were in school, but then the Cultural Revolution happened and they had to go and do, you know, uh, work in the farms and the laborers. And so their, their, their chance for education really got lost. And, uh, and there's definitely a correlation between education level and economic uh, opportunities. And so, so they, they very much focused on us doing well in school. They didn't know how to help us get through school. They just said that you need to do it. And so that was really the way I grew up. And if those were the options that they were pushing you towards, did you know what you wanted to, did you know what school or college you wanted to go to or what you want to major in? What did that decision-making process look like? Well, what was interesting was that my, my parents uh, got into business for themselves. They owned restaurants as I was growing up and I had the chance to work uh, in those restaurants. Uh, so I never made homecoming or, or prom dance or anything like that. I was always working. Uh, and, but what that taught me was that uh, in my high school years, especially, was that um, wanting to be my own boss or being my own entrepreneur like my parents. Hmm. And so I decided I wanted to go to business school. And I didn't know exactly what I wanted to study. I just knew I wanted to go to business school because I wanted to be in business. And that kind of fostered that idea of being an entrepreneur because my dad was like, hey, it's, 
it's uh it's great to to be able to have a job but it's even better when you give jobs and that really stuck with me growing up and uh, so i went to university of texas in austin uh to the business school the red uh, mccombs business school there uh and just jumped into it in the business school not knowing exactly what discipline or 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 career i was going to go after but i just knew it was going to be something in in business when you were working uh, for your parents, you know, in and around and seeing that um, that experience firsthand, can you, I guess, elaborate on that a little bit? Was it was there? Did you feel like you were missing out on school and those things? Was there any um, type of feeling about about that, or did you know at the time like this is sharpening my sword, or this is? Oh no, no. <laughs> I was, I was, I, I, I held a grudge against my parents, right? I didn't get to, I didn't get to, you know, go have fun on the weekends with friends. I didn't get to, you know, go to dances. I didn't get to go to football games. You know, I, I lost out on all of that. Uh, and what's funny about that is that um, I didn't realize they were sharpening my business skills. I learned about cash flow when I was like, you know, 14, 15 years old, talk, listening to my parents talk. Right. Mm-hmm. I remember vividly them talking about, OK, you know, we have to worry about inventory coming up at this point, you know, da, 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 and, and, and learning about how cash flow works or or looking at, you know, business letters and learning about taxation and, and, and the property taxes or business taxes they had to pay. All kinds of stuff you, you, you pick up over that that time period, all begrudg- begrudgingly, sure. <laughs> mind you, of, you know, feeling like your childhood was stolen. <laughs> Uh, but looking back today, it was probably one of the greatest gifts that I probably could have gotten growing wow. up. Wow, wow that that's that's uh, that's that's strong. Because and I'd imagine you go to college and then you start studying business, and the concepts aren't so so foreign. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's funny that they just put fancier words on the same stuff that I do, right? Mm. <laughs> you know, revenue is not the same as net profit, right? Why is that? Because there's expenses and how do the expenses work? You know, uh, you got to make sure that, you know, do you use a line of credit? Do you not use a line of credit? It, it just became fancier terms. But reality is business worked the same way. So, yeah. so that was a fun part about it. So when you're when you're at school... When did you start to develop, you know, the, a, a concept of what you wanted to do professionally or, di- or did you even start to develop that in school? It, it took a little while uh, that, you know, when you look, when you go to business school, you, the, the thing that a lot of people don't realize is universities in general, they're, they're designed to train you into becoming a worker bee for some big company. That is mm. the ultimate objective of university, right? Create the workforce. And so this idea of entrepreneurship, this idea of working for yourself, uh, creating business really wasn't part of the curriculum. And, I, you know, you don't see a lot of that nowadays. Even today, you don't see entrepreneurship as a, a, a big major, right, uh, as something that most people are accounting, finance, uh, you know, MIS, whatever it might be, management, marketing, you know, those sorts of things. And uh, so as I was going through it, I was like, man, I really want to be an entrepreneur. I, I want to be in a position where I build the business, own my own business, be the boss, right? And, and live the American dream. And uh, there, there really wasn't a discipline for that. So I thought through it and I said, well, I could do accounting, uh, you know, I could do management marketing, I could do international business was a major at that time. Uh, but finance was the one area that I just didn't know a lot about, uh, never had the exposure to it. And so I kind of dug in and learned a little bit about, okay, well, stock markets and bond markets and, 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 and you're looking at the future projections of money, not the past. Right. And so I started finding it fascinating and I said, you know what, maybe, maybe I'll just major in that. I'll just, I'm just going to major in finance and see what comes of it. And it turned out to be a, a, a fantastic, amazing you know, uh, serendipitous major because um, finances and everything, and, and and when you think about business and capital world, finance is one of the few things that that kind of integrate itself all the way through. Uh, and accounting does some of that as well too, and they, they kind of merge. But but really, finance really got my brain thinking about okay, how do I project out if I'm going to build a business, what is it going to look like in the future, and and now I could apply all those skills. And so uh, it just kind of happened, and and it was the thing that I knew the least about. That turned out to be the thing that I wanted to major in. Well, one of, one of the things that is common 
Well, it's not uncommon among high performing entrepreneurs is that sense of curiosity leads you to some success. And it sounds like you're curious. You're like, Hey, what is this? Like I want to go down and you dive in and you make it happen. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved every bit of it and and did very well uh, in it. And, uh, and then after I was done with schooling, uh, I was trying to figure out what the career path was going to be. And I took the only career path where they didn't pay me. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was with American express financial advisors. And, uh, and I was like, wow, that's fascinating. I've heard of American express, big brand. I didn't know there was a job that was a financial advisor job, started digging into it, learning about it. And the best part was they're like, and the best part is we don't pay you. You just, you just make whatever you can make. And I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> wow. <laughs> before, before, there's, there's a couple steps here in your, in your journey that I, I are so impactful and I, I can't wait to talk about them. But you mentioned school doesn't really focus on entrepreneurship. Was there any teachers that you had inside or outside the finance course that you were like, oh, this person uh, gets it or this person? Because it sounds like holistically, no. But were were there any people that made an impact on you while you were in school? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Professor Jim Nolan, who still teaches there. Uh, and uh, I don't I don't think he remembers me as a student, but we're still LinkedIn friends right now. Okay. <laughs> uh, but he taught a class called Small and Medium Sized Business. And that was as close as I got to understanding businesses and the inner workings of businesses uh, at that level. And so there was the micro business like my parents owned. But then getting into that class would really open my eyes to, ah, I see. So, so those same concepts relate, but that at a different scale or they work a little bit different, right? Or you're putting fancier terms on the same type of stuff. But that was a great class. That was a class that really opened my eyes to, ah, okay, so go from a mom and pop shop to a you know small business. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do you define it? How, you know, you have... 10 employees versus a hundred employees, what happens? And so the, that was definitely one of the uh, major defining uh, classes that I can think of, you know, going through the, the, those four years. Okay. All right. Um, sorry. That, that always interests me to, to know like what stands out as far as like teachers, classes and all those things and, um, and who really helps put those things together. So, okay. I digress. I, I want to go back towards you're you're at American express <laughs> financial advisors. Um, where where do you go from there? Like, what was that experience like, and how did that propel you to the well, next step? So, so they 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 tip they, they at that time they didn't hire college graduates because of the fact that uh, there was no money and you had to it was entrepreneurial type business. You had to build your own practice. You had to find your own clients, uh, and 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 then from there you would you would grow your business. So so they they wouldn't typically hire college students uh, right out of graduation because. Most of the time you didn't have a network or you didn't have the ability to grow a business like that. And so uh, before I graduated, uh, I said, hey, look, I, I really want to do this. I really want to grow my own you know, wealth management, financial planning practice. And they said, well, you know, that's great. But, you know, we don't hire college you know, kids right out of school. But, hey, how about this? If you get your licenses, you get your Series 7, you get your Series 63, you get your Group 1 license, you get it all done before you graduate, and maybe you do an internship, then we'll we'll think about it, right? And so that's what I did. I just said, okay, well, that's what I'll do. And so uh, another defining moment in my life is vividly remembering, you know, over Christmas break, not hanging out with my family. They all went on vacation to California and I'm sitting back here in Austin in, in, in my apartment studying for these exams and getting past all of them over the holiday hmm. and, and, and remembering Christmas, uh, <laughs> Christmas being pretty lonely. Uh, I had a friend that was Muslim and it was just him and I hanging out at Katz's, the Jewish deli, <laughs> because everybody else was celebrating Christmas. Right. Uh, and so I still laugh about it to this day. And so once I did all that and I did an internship uh, uh, with with a, a friend of mine uh, who I found out was working there and and he was older than myself, but this was a new career for him. 
And he said, hey, I can't, you know, uh, he said, I can't pay you, but, uh, you know, I, I could use some help. So and I'll be happy to teach you what I'm doing. He was a, a couple of years in to the business. And I said, no, absolutely. And so for a year, I just hung out at his office every couple of days and and helped him do filing and, and asking questions about, hey, what is that? And he let me sit in on some of his meetings and, and, and all that type of stuff. Uh, and to this day, he's, he's one of my you know great friends, Joel Kenty. Uh, who we ended up partnering together later on down down the road, and so uh, you know it's 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 uh, sometimes the people around you that that end up making you who you are. Oh, hundred percent, and that's another theme that's not uncommon where people really refer to those of the people that are around you. You you rise to the to the level of of all the the company that you keep. That's right. Yeah, one hundred percent. So. There's a, there's a couple different aspects of your career that that you've that you've taken. So I want to make sure that we're mindful of your time here, and and we are because there's there's a couple really big ones that we need to talk about. But <laughs> is there is there anything in your career in your journey that stands out in you know the the coming years, like how you got into the the next step of your career? Yeah, well, I would say that career as a financial advisor was very defining because I then became a certified financial planner uh, and we manage hundreds of millions of dollars of wealth for for, for folks here in, in Central Texas. Uh, some of those clients are still, they're not my clients anymore, but they're still friends of mine. Like that's mm. how deep these relationships ran. Uh, but building something from scratch like that really gave me the ability to uh you know, feel like an entrepreneur and, and understand the the difficulties and the challenges of what it takes, right? Uh, it's I always tell people, it's one thing for somebody to tell you about pain. It's another thing to experience the pain yourself. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Two very different things, right? Two very different things. Um, so that was very defining, and I did that for a long time. And then along the way, uh, you know, I broke away from that, sold my practice and started something called How Do You Roll, which was a sushi franchise. And that was because I wanted to work with my brother. And my brother was a sushi chef and he had this idea and we, we started refining it. And here we go again, you know, 13 years into my other career, I'm starting over again and being an entrepreneur again. And so you'll that, that might be the one theme that you'll see throughout my entire history is that I always like to get to a certain point and be like, Oh, let's just start over. <laughs> mm. let's, let's build something new. Right. Um, and, and we built that business, although it was only six years, we had some very defining moments in, 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 in that business as well, too. You know, we got on a TV show called shark tank mm. and we, we got the biggest offer from, from Mr. Wonderful uh, ever done in the history of the show and still probably one of the highest offers done on that show now going into their, you know, we were season four and now I think they're in season 20 already. Wow. And so it's still one of the biggest, you know, million dollar deal. That was, a, they, they'd never seen anything like that. Right. Uh, so that helped that business explode. And so we ended up exiting out of that business to a, a private equity firm. And then I and took my equity. Wait, yeah. be before you go there. So you, all the things that you had done before, whether it be working in for your parents, um, you know, having that, that experience and then going to school, seeing how the small business ties to the large one and then starting, it is amazing to hear you real time talk about how all those things came and bang, not like <laughs> right across the plate and knocked it all apart. Cause really all of those aspects of your life, I I'm, I'm imagining that it all came to fruition in that moment with your brother. That must've been an unbelievable moment. Yeah, it, it really was. And, and each of these exits turned out to be financially pretty good, right? And so it kind of just led you from one thing to the other. The, the The neatness of that moment in my life was the ability to, to be with family, work with family as a family business and grow it from one, you know, little, sh uh, you know, sh sushi shop to 20, 30 units across the country. Right. Wow. With many more to be open behind that. Um, and so we, we really took something from very infancy stages and, and, and blew it up. Um, so that was that was pretty amazing, I think, overall. Um, and then, you know, 
<clears throat> when you add the family dynamics to it, it makes it even more challenging. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say it's, it's probably very sweet, but also very challenging as well. Yeah. I was just <laughs> laughing with my brother about it uh, recently that we, we used to get into knockdown fights to where we almost started throwing punches. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so I take it you're on good terms now, though. Yes, yes, very good. Time. We, <laughs> okay. we, we, we both laugh about it today. <laughs> okay, so so you exit that opportunity, and what yeah. what came next for you? Well, what came next was I, I I decided to write a couple of books. I wrote my first book after after How Do You Roll, uh, and uh, it was trying to get some of my thought processes uh, onto paper, and 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 really really leaving a little bit of a legacy for my two uh, sons, and. Uh, I wanted to teach them about success and how do you become successful in life? And most people I would say would tell you, Oh, you got to work hard, be dedicated. Uh, you know, those, those sorts of, uh, uh, of, uh, comments. But I decided that that wasn't really true. Uh, there was other factors that really truly created success and, uh, hard work and dedication was a multiplier but it wasn't the element that would make you successful. And so I wrote a book called The Blind Grind. And it was this idea of like, well, what if you're like the world's best ditch digger? Are you ever going to be overly successful? And the answer is probably no. Or, or what if you're a successful teacher, but economically, financially, you're not there? Um, so so why, how does it all work? And, 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 and what do you need to think about? And so that was what I did after, after uh, How Do You Roll. Spent about... Eh, six months to a year writing that book. When you were writing that book, was that something that you already had? You know, you talk about your process and the things that you learned, but was it something that you already had or did that help that process help you go back and rethink about those things that made that make up success in your mind? It, it was really it was really a reflection. So in other words, it was really looking backwards and saying, OK, you know, you've had two successful exits. Uh, what, 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 what caused it? What, what created it? Was it truly hard work? And, and the answer really wasn't, it was, uh, you know, one, one exit was bigger than the other. And I worked less hard on that exit, uh, or, or that business. And so I was trying to kind of determine, okay, so what happened here and why was it that one was, you know, more, more, um, financially successful than the other. And that's kind of what led me down that journey. And, and it took revisions and, and thought process uh, to finally hone in on, okay, these are the things, these are the elements that I believe create success. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're writing this book, you had the exit. So at this time, are you already working on your next venture as well? Or is it just complete author mode? I kind of, yeah, I kind of fell into my next venture and that was real estate. Uh, and I was originally thinking, do I go back to wealth management? Uh, what do I want to do? Uh, and an opportunity with somebody that I met uh, through an organization called uh, EO, which is Entrepreneurs Organization. Um, they were doing real estate, very successful, and they were looking for assistance and help in building capital markets and, and raising dollars for, for real estate deals. And uh, this was all specifically for multifamily, also known as apartments. And, uh, you know, I uh, had an opportunity to join them and, and become a partner there. Mm -hmm. And so I jumped in, I jumped in and, and, uh, it was eight years, almost eight years that, uh, I, I did that business and that was Casoro group and Casoro group. Uh, I, I've been the C I was a CEO for the last three or four years, uh, for that organization, uh, helping it grow, doing, you know, real estate deals that were, you know, at some points, you know, tens to hundreds of millions of dollars and, and they were big deals. And that turned out to be a, a very good business as well. And so, you know, it's very interesting. I, I have a very checkered past as I tell people. <laughs> yeah. But it's amazing that all the things for the most part leading up to this, they all um, are related in some way or similar. They, they add up to each other. But when you got into the real estate portion Tell me, what was that transition like? Like, how did you adjust to it? Like, what was your um, introduction to real estate in the first place? And then I know because you, you had some retail experience with the with the restaurants and those things, but then you're going to multifamily. 
Tell me about that transition. Yeah. So real estate was one of those areas that I didn't know, I didn't feel like I knew enough about. And and that and that's what you find kind of a commonality with me is that if I, I don't know something, I actually have more interest in jumping in. Uh, and, you know, when I was a wealth advisor, I, I had some exposure to real estate. Uh, I knew uh, that there was real estate investment trusts that people can go into. People do some private deals, those sorts of things. And then with How Do You Roll, that was consumer, you know, oriented. And uh, we had some a lot of experience of opening commercial stores, uh, retail stores. And but I didn't know a whole lot about how the uh, housing or, or multi-housing side of things worked. And so that's what fascinated me about it. And what I found through that process was that it, it in, in a lot of ways, it's like any other business. You're still managing the same things and you're still thinking about that circular motion that business has, which is, you know, dollars coming in, dollars going back out. Is there a net profit and how do you grow? And, 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 and you figure out uh, those things. It's just you're using a different medium to do it. Uh, and one difference is that it is what we would call a hard asset. And so essentially what you're dealing with is something that is physical versus maybe something that's more paper oriented, like a, 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 a real estate investment trust or something like that. And so it took me a little while to kind of get my head wrapped around it. Uh, and now today, I would tell you, I feel very comfortable with real estate deals and understanding real estate deals uh, and understand what a GP does versus what an LP does and, uh, you know, how much leverage should you put and why and, and, and all those things have now come together. Uh, so it was an amazing experience for me there as well. How long do you think it took you to really get your bearings that you were like, okay, I got this? I think I think the first year or two uh, was trying to get a sense of direction, uh, and then after that, it was just honing in. Hmm. And so, first year or two, I felt like I was there, just trying to understand and get get a grasp of it and know what direction I'm trying to move. And then, you know, over time, over the next few years after that, it became like honing in on skill set, right, and understanding the nuances of, you know. Little things, uh, different between Freddie and Fannie, for example, or, uh, you know, a pref equity position versus a, a non-pref equity position. And just honing in on skills that, that uh, became details, really. Uh, and so that was the last few years. And then after that, just running the business. You know, there's something that stands out in, in your experience, and you alluded to it before about starting over, Right how you have so many opportunities that you were like starting over. And, you know, I've, I, in my career, I can say like, I've, gee, it resonates so deeply with me because I feel like I've started over so many times, <laughs> but it, there is a, a silver lining to that because you get better at the meta skill of what I consider a meta skill of learning how to learn and yes. not being so yes. fearful of jumping into something because you have the confidence that, oh, I'll figure it out. I know the process of figuring it out. Yes. And, and, and th th that is so invaluable, right? Uh, is being okay with the unknown, but knowing how to, to figure out what the unknown is, is really what it comes down to. Yeah. Do you feel like in, when you were in college, Almost when that curiosity that led you to the finance, was there anything before that, that you felt like you experienced, or was that your first time of really exploring your curiosity that led you to some success? Well, I, I really find Sorry, it. And I don't mean to jump around. No, but, no, but no. When I, when I hear these threads in someone's life, yeah. it leads me to think like, where did this start? Like, how did you begin that, that journey of being confident and taking these chances of your curiosity? You know, I, I found that that was always in me. Uh, when I when I look back and I, and I think about you know self reflecting and, and and where I was, that was true across the board. Uh, and, and and even in something as simple as maybe uh, music taste, for example, uh, you know, and I, you know, started with you know listening to pop pop radio, uh, and then over time really enjoyed uh, you know oldies like the Beatles, uh, who are still one of my favorites of all time today to loving hip hop in the nineties uh, to listening to classical music uh, because I'm learning how to play the piano. I mean, it, it, it just never ends. And, and the world is so big and there's just so much out there that I don't think that uh, 
it ever stopped and it, and, and it all it was always there i think it was mm. always there well okay sorry didn't mean to yeah. throw, you off, throw, you off, throw you off track yeah. there okay so can you now that you're you're in the next phase and you're, you're doing you're in commercial real estate the casaro group um talk about that and and that to where you are were and to what led you to the next step yeah. So, so, you know, we, we, we started building real estate. We started building the portfolio. Uh, we had, you know, tens of thousands of units uh, and, and all across Texas, things were going well uh, and uh, you know, had, had some exits and, and, and still waiting on some of those exits as, actually as of today. Uh, but then an opportunity came up that again, piqued my curiosity and uh, and I said, huh, that's interesting. And, and somebody came to me and said, Hey, um, there's an opportunity to work with entrepreneurs, but through acquisition, not startup. And I said, okay, <laughs> I love entrepreneurship. So you tell me more. Right. And uh, so my current business partner, Nate said, Hey, you know, we've got this opportunity. There's this program out of Switzerland that's being built called an ETA program, which stands for uh, entrepreneurship through acquisition. And essentially what we do is we find entrepreneurs that want to own their own business, but they're going to acquire it and we're going to help them acquire it. And I'm like, all right, I'm all in. Let, let's talk about this. And, and uh, so, you know, and, and we talked about it uh, for a little while. It piqued my interest. And finally he was like, well, are we going to do it? And I said, well, I guess I'm going to have to, here we go. Let's go. You know, if nothing's broken, let's go break it. And, and let's go start <laughs> something new. And that's what I did. I told my business partners at Casoro, I said, hey, you know, I've got this opportunity that fits, you know, my curiosity and what I'm trying to accomplish uh, in life, which is really help entrepreneurs and and, and, and do really neat stuff. Um, and uh, I, I have to leave. And they're like, what? You're leaving? And I'm like, yeah, I really have to leave. And I got to go start this thing because there's a window of opportunity here that, you know, when you think about all the businesses that have been developed and, and built over the last couple of, you know, decades to centuries even, um, and the transition that has to happen over the next, you know, five to 10 years of, you know, aging founders or, 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 or whatnot that need exits. And so, so now here I am today as a managing partner of Halbar uh, Partners, uh, we, our flagship fund, the ETA fund is really specifically geared towards finding those, you know, a million plus uh, EBITDA type companies and figuring out how to how to grow them and how to how to increase uh, their valuations uh, by having a great entrepreneur. So I'm not the entrepreneur anymore, but I'm supporting entrepreneurs. So I see it as like this next phase of my life, which is, you know, everything I've learned, everything I know about, I can now help other people uh, and help them grow their enterprises. And so uh, I am so so stoked and excited about what we do at Halbar. It's not even funny. Uh, and every day I think about it and I think about, oh, yeah, I got to think about this, this entrepreneur that's doing this. And and uh, what should they be thinking about? How can I help them with sales and marketing or how can I help them with, you know, their 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 finances or whatever it might be? That becomes the conversation now. And, and it's, it's it's very rewarding from that perspective. I bet. And you know what? I'm excited to meet because I got a million ideas that I want to run by you. And I can't <laughs> I can't wait for you to poke holes in. Um, because again, that's what, that's what it's about. Like coming across people that you're like, Oh, it's, it's serendipity, you know, that good people know good people and you're on the same path and, and you're doing things. But let me ask you this, because this, this goes back to one of the things I alluded to earlier on and that sense of using your skills, your talents to help others. You had previously mentioned something to me about when things started to click for you. And I think it was in 2020. Can you talk about that experience and, um, you know, I don't put words in your mouth, but just kind of talk about yeah. when that really started to click? Well, yeah, absolutely. So, so during that same time frame, I, I wrote my second book, which was called The Business Model Blueprint. And the whole idea there was, you know, if you, if you become successful in business, that's great. And, and I basically lay out, here's what it takes to build a successful business in that book. But the last part of that book was really dedicated to this idea of, okay, you've achieved success, but what about significance? And I define the difference between the impact you have on other people versus just making money, right? And we can figure out how to make money, but then what is the, the true positive impact that you have 
on people and how, how much positive impact do you have? And so as I was finishing up that book, right around that same time, COVID hit. And when COVID hit, it really kind of rocked all our worlds, right? This idea of lockdowns and, and then all this like Asian hate stuff came up. And, and somehow because of the color of my skin or how I look, I, I'm somehow responsible for, uh, you know, uh, what did Trump call it? Kung, Kung, Kung flu or something like that. And, you know, so there was a lot of this rhetoric about, uh, you know, uh, Asian hate and, and, and things that were happening uh, to, to, to folks. Uh, and then at that same time, uh, George Floyd happened. And, and that really rocked my world because I remember in the 80s with Rodney King, and watching L.A. burn, I like vividly remember that, right? And I was like, "Oh my gosh, what's going on?" Uh, and then on Maude Aubrey and and Breonna Taylor, and then the list just goes on and on. And I'm and I'm I'm, I'm stuck at home <laughs> during COVID, going, "What the hell is wrong with this world? I thought we were better than this, right? I thought we we'd come a long ways." And 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 I was listening to uh, my man Tupac, and his song "Changes" came up. And I'm listening to the words and I, I, I physically start crying because I'm like, oh, my God, here, here's Pac talking about, you know, the inequalities and, and the problems that we have. You know, how do how do we have money for wars, but we can't feed the poor? Right. And, and he's not wrong. And it's like, but here I am. Fast forward 20, 30 years later and we're still dealing with racism. We're still dealing with inequality. And so. That really had a big impact on me because what happened was I decided that we really what we needed to do really is truly figure out how do we fix the problem. Um, initially, I was thinking, you know, you know, maybe maybe we donate some money somewhere. Maybe we do this, that and the other. And somebody told me, hey, you know, you really need to teach somebody how to fish, not just give them a fish. And that really hit home for me. And so I decided, you know, OK, well, how are inequalities created? Well, guess what? It's created by real estate. Right. Among other things. But real estate being one of the biggest, you, you, you see cities that are divided by a highway on purpose, east side, west side. Right. You, you see certain areas that are marginalized um, by, you know, the ethnic, uh, uh, you know, the ethnic background of the folks that are there. And when you start seeing all this, you start realizing part of the problem is what I was making money off of, which was real estate. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I went to my partners and I said, hey, you know, uh, I have this idea that I really want to solve some of these issues. Um, it'll take a long time. It'll take a lot of work. It'll take a lot of money, but we can be part of the solution. And that solution is how do we get more diversity into real estate? Because once people can get into the real estate game, they build true wealth and you can start destroying the, the generational wealth gap. The number one asset that people pass from generation to generation is their real estate, their home or, 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 or whatever real estate they might have. And so we went about creating an entire ecosystem of how to bring more people into real estate so that they become part of the ecosystem, right? Folks like you and I can actually participate in real estate, do well in real estate and create wealth and be able to pass it on from generation to generation. Now, the answer to that was that we said, you know what? That's really all well and good, but how do you make that happen? And it came down to one simple conversation, which was that it's about knowledge and knowledge is power, right? And so then we had to step back and say, well, then let's talk about the education. How do people get education in real estate today? There is not a lot of formal education in real estate today. Hmm. It's still a good old boy system, right? When you look at all the big commercial properties, you know, the build for rents, whatever they might be, it's still a very non-diverse industry, right? It is, it's almost sad to say, but, it, but it's true. And so we, we, we decided to build the whole ecosystem where we can expose young folks earlier in their lives to a potential of careers and opportunities in real estate to now giving scholarships also to uh, HBCUs that will build a real estate program. Houston Tillerson University here in Austin being the first of this pilot, we're giving away 10, 10 full scholarship, 10 full-time scholarships to 10 students uh, for the next four years of their lives, right? So that they study real estate. And when they graduate, then how do we help them with 
building experience, internships, mentorship, getting them job placements, all of the, how do they earn money in real estate? This entire continuum that we started very slow a couple of years ago, back in 2020, right? With this idea of Pac saying, hey, we need to be the change that we want to mm. see, right? We have to do this. And so I said, Let, let's go do it. And and so here we are in, in, in 2023, uh, getting ready to finally give out, you know, the first round of scholarships. Um, we've talked to hundreds of students here in, in Central Texas uh, and uh, exposing them to all the different career possibilities in real estate. It's not as simple as I want to own the building. It's it's also, well, you can be a financial analyst. You can be a, a realtor. You can be, you know, property management. You can be an insurance, you know, property and casualty insurance. There's all these opportunities that you don't even realize. And so now we've got kids thinking about you know, maybe getting into real estate, Right. Uh, and then we're also doing placements for internships. So we placed a couple, a good friend of both you and you and me, Dustin, uh, Dareth over at JLL. Yeah. We're trying to help. Shout out Dareth Jarvis. Place. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to find ways to, uh, uh, you know, place some folks into their internship programs. And so just trying to do the whole thing. And, and we figure after 10, 15 years, we'll, we'll see some, some real fruition out of it. Yeah, well, you having that long-term vision also to to understand like this this is a tough hill to climb, right? So it's going to take a while, but I also there's a couple of things I really love about there's quite a few things I love about this. You're looking at it like a holistic from a holistic perspective. And there's one part of it where you mention wealth creation and owning the real estate and doing that, but also to your to your points that there's also good lives to be lived all behind the, the curtain of commercial real oh, estate, absolutely. tax, title, insurance, yes. you know, management, all the things that, that you named. And there's a whole world over there. So it's not just, you know, becoming a millionaire or billionaire, what it would have you with those <laughs> things are great, but you know, also you can just live a good life and, and be, be a, a contributor to society. So I think all those things were, are, Right on point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're excited for somebody like yourself, right? To be a mentor and, and help these kids and, and, and show them away. And sometimes they just need to see somebody that looks a little bit like them. And it's exposure. Say, You're right. Hey, You're it right. can happen. Yeah. Well, another, another thing that I really want to make sure that, that I express to you is how impressed I am with you as a person. Right. Because <laughs> when I, when, you know, first meeting you and, and having that conversation and, and your, your resume is very impressive and all the things that, that you've done so far, but you again, holistically as a person and how you think and why you think that way and what you bring to society is, is absolutely remarkable. So thank you for, for everything well, that you're you. doing. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. And, you know, I, like I always tell my kids, our job is to make the world better. And leave it better than you found it. Yeah, well, I, I certainly think that you're you're doing your part. Before before we we cut out of here, I want to ask you: Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners? And in the show notes, I will include a link to uh, yourself and your company, some of the initiatives that you're doing. I also. Uh, I, I can include the links to, to your books that, that you wrote, put them on there as well. I want to make sure, sure to, to provide everything, but is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners with today? I think the biggest thing for the listeners is uh, don't be afraid to be an entrepreneur. Don't be afraid to be a troublemaker. Don't be afraid to go out there and, and, and push on things. Uh, the world needs that. And, and sometimes we forget that. And, and it's, it's on us to, to, to be bold and go and, start a new business or acquire a business and make it better and grow it and whatever it might be. And, and, and know that, you know, building equity for yourself and for your family is just as important as anything else, because that'll make life a lot better for everybody down the road. And people forget that. And sometimes you just forget that that's really what it takes. And so I would say, you know, be bold and, and, and go forward and, and do not be afraid to, to take chances. I love that. Before one more thing before we cut out of here, because based on what you but hearing what you do, you're batting a thousand. Like everything that you touched worked out. 
Is there anything you don't have to tell like a, a huge horror story, yeah. but is there anything that you could think of? You were like, wow, that didn't work out. Not, not this, not to scare any entrepreneurs, but you were like, Hmm, maybe I, I, uh, I should have zagged when I zigged right there. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, there's been deals that have died before they ever became fruition. So I'll, I'll, I'll let those be, uh, you know, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I had a business partner. I did a, a a board game, and it failed. It failed. It didn't. It didn't work. <laughs> so you know they, they're not all successes, and 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 that's okay. And and even in the the ones that were successes, there were moments where it felt like it wasn't going to be successful. You just don't know. Hmm. Uh, but it, it's like anything else that you do in life. It's it's how many chances and how many times you keep doing it and playing playing the hands that you get and keep, you know, going after it. And, you know, if you're in sports, then it's how many times you just keep pushing for the yard in football or kicking the goal in soccer or extra lap and swim or whatever it might be. And, and that's really the, the what it takes. Uh, if you read my book, it'll say that you got to focus on certain things, but that perseverance, that persistence and that hard work is a multiplier. And so it takes you to the next level. And so I think that don't, don't ever forget that those pieces of it. Love that. Love that. Yeah. And thank you so much. Uh, absolute pleasure having you on and uh, I look forward to further conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks Dustin. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of tools, talents, and techniques. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation, and if you did find value in the episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast on your favorite platform, leaving a review, and sharing with your network. We have an amazing lineup in the coming weeks and months with some very impressive leaders and some of the heaviest hitters in business who are making a positive impact in the world. So stay tuned for more exciting episodes and special features coming up. We appreciate your ongoing support and look forward to welcoming you back next time on Tools, Talents, and Techniques.